Thanks, Jillian and team. Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Roland Smith. If I haven't met you, I'm the pastor of missional culture here at the church and at Pulpit Rock and also help oversee the worship uh, ministry. And it's great to be with you on this second Sunday of the Advent season. And we are deep into Christmas, right? Everyone is, uh, hopefully you have your decorations up and things are uh, starting to look a little bit like Christmas around your house. Um, December was always a fun month for me. I didn't grow up in church. I don't have a lot of memories of Christmas around uh, a church setting, but we did celebrate Christmas in a big way at my house. And, and so I have a lot of memories of Christmas, particularly I have these memories of me and my younger brother, Graham. And in Graham, I had this ally or this partner that I didn't normally have during the year. Graham and I are kind of wired different. We hung out with different people. Um, and so we were um, a little bit separated during the year, but during December, we had this common interest, and it was information. I mean, during the first two weeks of the month, we started seeing things like decorations go up and lights go up and the Christmas tree goes up, and then all of a sudden the good stuff hits, right? Trees start populating under the, under the uh, tree. Uh, just magically. And Graham and I would, I remember we would sit and we'd measure boxes and we would shake them and we'd weigh them and uh, we'd look at the lists that we had given to our parents and it's like, well, maybe that's this. And we'd try to match everything up. And so I had this partner, you know, to try to figure out what Christmas was. We'd sit in front of our big fireplace in the living room and we'd ask these huge life questions like, how in the world does he actually get down the chimney? And so December was this time where a partner kind of joined me because we had this expectancy. Um, all of December was this expectancy for that one event, that one night when he came, Santa. Advent for Christians is this same kind of remembrance. It's this expectancy where the church all around the world, it looks back and recounts the memories and the expectancy and the building up to that one night or day when he came, Jesus. But I would also say that Advent is a time for us to remember that we are partners in something. And we find that in our passage that we're going to look at today, in this second Sunday of Advent, we're going to be in Philippians. And we're going to look at something that Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to a church community, a faith community in the city of Philippi, in a little city in Greece. Um, and he is writing this about 62, 64 AD, we think, um, as he sits in a prison cell in Rome to this faith community that he helped plant, that he has much love for. And he writes this. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we can note a couple of things right off the bat. Paul is grateful for partners. 
He is really grateful that he has this community of faith while he sits in a prison, and he considers partners in the gospel. And it's interesting to think that perhaps we, as we sit here today, are a continuation of the partnership that started then. I don't know if you know this, but this year is the 70th anniversary of Pulpit Rock Church. Isn't that cool? I heard a wow. It is amazing. It's great. And so 70 years ago, a group of people planted this community of faith. They were, in a sense, partners with us, and we continue that partnership today as we exist. And so just like that, we are a continuation of a partnership that started long ago. As Paul was planting churches around the Mediterranean area, we are partners with all of those faith communities as the gospel grew, spread around the world, all the way to Colorado Springs to in this room today. And we will be seen as partners to the pulpit rock of years to come. And so we partner together. We partner with each other inside the church. We also partner with organizations and other churches around the city in uh, events like Because I Love You, which we recently did in September. We partner with organizations like Springs Rescue Mission and Exodus Road. We partner with Care Portal like we heard in the story, the Advent story this morning where we bring bunk beds to kids. And so in all of these organizations and these partnerships, we announce the kingdom and the gospel as partners together. Well, why do we partner? We partner because we want to make things achievable. And so we bring something to the table, an organization brings something to the table. Together we can do that. Or in the body of Christ, I can do one thing and you can do it uh, something different. And so together we can show the gospel, show the kingdom in different ways. And so Paul is especially grateful for this church and their partnership with him in the gospel. So I want us to remember this morning that the partnership in the gospel that Paul began in the early church, that movement continues today. We are partners in the gospel. And then Paul goes on, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, I underlined a statement in here because I had never seen that before. It was brand new to me, and I've been thinking about what does it mean to defend and confirm the gospel? I think that's a really interesting phrase that I've never heard before and never read in this passage quite like that. What does defending and the confirming the gospel look like exactly? And in addition, what is the gospel really? I mean, we throw around the word gospel a lot, don't we? We're going to share the gospel. We're going to live the gospel. There's a group going overseas to share the gospel. And so we use the word gospel in a lot of different ways. But what, what really is gospel mean? And I think sometimes what we do is we, 
We share a part of the gospel. We hone in on an important truth of the gospel, but then we leave out some of the bigger picture. We share of the salvation that the gospel brings, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, which he says himself in Scripture, that Jesus is the way to life, and giving our life over to him saves us. And all of those things are true, absolutely true. But when you look at the whole of Scripture, when you look at Jesus' life, when you look at the way that he came and announced the gospel, maybe we're sharing just a small part of it, and we're missing a big, massive picture. And the picture may look like or sound like this. There is a king, and his name is Jesus, and he has a kingdom that has come. In his kingdom, you will find life. In his kingdom, things operate differently. And so we invite people into a new kingdom and a new way of things that operate. Not just a statement to get us over a line and into heaven. It's a bigger announcement. It's a bigger picture. We see in the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, after he's baptized, after he goes into the desert for 40 days, it says this in Matthew, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so one of Jesus' main things that he wants to tell everyone is that there's a new kingdom, and it has come near to earth. And as Jesus came near to people, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God came near to them. It was a kingdom that turned religion upside down. Rules were reframed in the lens of grace. Behavior was reframed in the lens of forgiveness. A new kingdom with a new way of looking at things. In Jesus' own words, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so it wasn't that the scriptures were unimportant, but the scriptures pointed to a new kingdom, a gospel, good news, and the good news name is Jesus. He is the good news. He is the gospel. And so if we give our lives to this message of the gospel, live for this gospel, live for this other kingdom that Jesus announces, then we can ask, how do we defend and confirm it? How do we show the world that there's another kingdom and that that kingdom has life? So these two words that I've been kind of thinking about, defending and confirming, let's think about those for just a minute. When we think of defending or we think of defense, um, oftentimes it can seem like it's something that's going to be violent, right? Um, like the Denver Broncos defense. Is it going to be good or is it going to be bad this year, you know? Or this week I watched uh, The Alamo again. I watch every John Wayne movie two times a year. 
except for the stupid ones where he's like a Mongol or an airline pilot or something. I mean, he's got to be a cowboy, right? Or he's got to be a World War II soldier. But in the Alamo, they were defending a position. It was kind of violent. Or you think of defending yourself against an attacker. And so defense takes on this violent activity. But I would also say that defense can be intellectual. Defense can be an oratory. We see Jesus and Paul both defend the kingdom and defend the gospel, usually against the religious, where they are defending grace against rules. And perhaps the best way to defend things comes from the second word, which is confirming the gospel. What about how do we confirm the gospel? How would you think that we would confirm the new kingdom? We can look at what Jesus did and how he did it. Think about how Jesus walked among us. What ways did he confirm his kingship and his new kingdom? Well, he heals the sick and the blind. He comforts the broken. He feeds the 5,000. He walks dusty roads, and he makes the kingdom tangible, perceptible by touch to people that he comes in contact with. And so to the hungry, when he feeds them, it's like he's saying in the kingdom, there is no hunger. So all 5,000 of you eat. Or to the lame, he says in the kingdom, you won't be crippled. So, so walk, get up and walk. To the adulterous woman, he says in the kingdom, there is no condemnation. And so I don't condemn you either. And in all of these actions, people are watching him as he displays the new kingdom, as he makes it tangible, perceptible to touch. To the beaten and the downtrodden and the marginalized, he says, stand up and follow me into my kingdom where there is life and my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so when thinking about confirming the good news, confirming the gospel, the kingdom, we can tell someone about the kingdom and about the gospel by demonstrating it to them, by making it tangible. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus meets with the disciples in a locked room and says, hey, it's the Father sent me, so I send you, we read that in John. It's as if he's saying, unlock the door and go out and make the kingdom tangible to others. In your seats, you should have found a couple of pieces of fabric. I invite you to grab those and hold one in each hand. One piece of fabric is burlap. And if you rub burlap between your fingers, it's coarse it's not soft, it feels um, rough, and if you look at yours, if it's like mine, it's kind of frayed on the edges. Now, I don't know about you, but this a little bit feels like times in my life. It may feel like your life now. You may have a burlap kind of situation going on. And a lot of times, the world feels like this, doesn't it? 
But what we're saying is that Jesus came to announce a kingdom that's like fleece. In a burlap world, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Fleece has come near to burlap. It's softer. It's more comfortable. It feels like what you want, doesn't it? And we never get rid of the burlap in this life, but the kingdom can always come near to those situations. And so we get, we get a perceptible, tangible example of the kingdom even when we live in a burlap world or a burlap life. And maybe Jesus knew that confirming the gospel bringing tangible examples of the gospel was the best way to defend against burlap in, in the world or in religion. And so as partners of the good news, we confirm and we demonstrate the love of God because He demonstrated and confirmed it to us. He confirmed it to us as a baby coming in a manger, and that's what we celebrate in this month. He confirmed it by walking among us and teaching parables and stories and teaching and showing the kingdom and the gospel to us. He confirmed it when he went to a cross and defeated death, which we'll observe and celebrate with Easter. And he will confirm it when he comes again and restores and redeems a perfected world and kingdom to come. And so, as partners in the good news, we demonstrate the love of God, the kingdom, because He demonstrated it to us. We love because He loved. We confirm because He confirmed. We bring peace where there is strife because He is the Prince of Peace. We bring healing to brokenness because He is the great physician. We feed others to try and imitate Him in feeding the 5,000, to say in the kingdom there is no hunger. We rescue girls from sex slavery because the only slavery in the kingdom is to Jesus and His love. And we reach out to our neighbors. We lean into people's lives. We intentionally get to know people and bring fleece with us because they need to know what we know. To God, you are known, you are seen, and you are loved. If you will, we live in between two comings. The coming of Jesus as a baby and the coming of Jesus that will happen in a perfected kingdom. But it's not enough for us to just sit and wait and hope for that kingdom, because we've been called as sent people to bring examples of the kingdom into people's lives, just the way that Jesus did. This is one reason I'm so excited about the Missional Expression Fund that we've been talking about in the Christmas offering. This isn't just money that we're raising. We are actually setting ourselves up to be partners in the gospel to carry glimpses of the kingdom into people's lives. Not leadership, you. And so when you have an idea to lean into your neighborhood, your workplace, the places you play and you 
uh, come across people's lives and brush up against people. We want to be there to say, yeah, we, we want to mentor you. We want to help figure this out. We want to give you administrative resources, places to meet, curriculum. And if need be, yeah, we have a fund where we can even purchase things we need to, to make that happen. And so whatever your kingdom dream is, whatever your fleece that you could carry into your neighborhood or the places you live and work and play, that's why I'm excited about this fund. It's because we can say, yes, let's partner together and do it. The kingdom that Jesus announced that we live in now in this world, an uncompleted kingdom, doesn't quite feel comfortable. It feels more like burlap, doesn't it? And it feels like that in our observations. It may feel like that in friends of yours. You may know situations in their life that look and feel a little more like burlap than fleece. Or if you look at Facebook or the news or whatever, it just seems like we're living with a lot of burlap. The glimpses of good things often come with challenges, with pain, with hurt, sometimes with tears. And we all have a story in this room. Somewhere in each of our stories, the kingdom seems to break down, at least for a season. Maybe in the past, maybe in the future, or maybe today as you sit here. But there is a new kingdom that is coming. And this is the message not only for us, but for our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends, and our family. And so we share in a hope, but we also display that hope tangibly now. It's the kingdom to come when the king returns. What does it look like? What does that kingdom look like? Well, John gives us a glimpse and I want to share that glimpse with you. And if you want, I invite you to hold that fleece in your hand as you listen to John's words about what a perfected kingdom looks like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Please.
Our friend Mike Frost says this. He says, the story of Advent isn't just a preparation for Christmas. It is the story of the Christ who came to inaugurate his reign and the story of the Christ who is yet to come to consummate his glory and make all things new. Advent, Christmas, this time of the year is fun for many. It's sad for others, and that may be true for you this morning. It's building up to Christmas Day, which will be happy for some and sad for others. It's decorating. It's giving. It's being thankful. It's looking forward to family being together, or maybe not so much. It's the baby Jesus, and it's mangers, and it's wise men, and it's presents under the tree. It's carols, the mall, decorations, lights, and it's those really weird light-up nativities in front yards. Sorry if I offended anyone, but they are strange. Here's a thought. The next time you see a nativity, today probably, when you go home, Look at the nativity in your house. Or as you drive by a house and you see a nativity, I want to invite you to have a new thought that instead of it just being the birth of a baby so that he could grow up and save us, it's bigger. It's the announcement of a new kingdom. It's the announcement that the king has come. Think about the fact that in that one act of coming was announced that the kingdom of heaven has come near to earth. And so, as people who follow Jesus and are partners in the gospel together to a world that often feels like burlap, the question for us this morning is this. When someone comes near to you, do they feel like the kingdom of heaven has come near to their burlap life? That's our calling. I want to invite you to stand with me. And as we prepare to sing a song, I want to encourage you to utilize the prayer wall over here and write a kingdom prayer, whatever that means to you. What does a kingdom prayer look like that you put in that wall? And I also want to invite you to engage the candle stands over there. It's a place where we simply light a flame to represent taking light into a dark place. And so today it makes all the sense in the world that maybe in your life there's something that feels like burlap and needs fleece from the kingdom. Well, light a light to that. Or maybe it's someone else's life. So I encourage you to use that as we worship as well. It is a powerful thing when a few hundred people sing the same lyric at the same time and the volume of the kingdom reaches our hearts. So sing loud 
about this kingdom. As we sing this song about God's fully redeemed kingdom to come, we sing it as a Christmas song today because that is what this season is all about. The announcement that God's kingdom has come near to earth and is making all things new.